Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Time to break it down and let it be broke. The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 105, just to get a rep, is sponsored by Sugar Daddy's Gentleman's Club. Just don't grab their tips. Wow. So, Pete, before we dive on in, just have to acknowledge what's going on over on the Pop Culture Podcast. If you're if you're not listening to us through that feed, one let you know this past weekend we went to a little place called New York Comic Con. We went to the Marvel Netflix panel with much drama to get in there. And uh, Pete, apropos to the Luke Cage podcast, who did we see up there on stage? That would be Mike Coulter, uh, Luke Cage, of course. As well as Eric LeRae Harvey, who plays... Wait, wait, wait. You have to stop, Pete. This was tough. This was the only difficult part of New York Comic Con. <laughs> I try so hard to be spoiler-free, and this, this actor walks out on stage with Jeff Loeb, part of, uh, head of Marvel Television, and Pete, they started... They started discussing an episode of Luke Cage that I haven't seen yet, and then they showed a clip God. with Eric LeRae Harvey where he's doing awesome things. So I would just ask for for all my spoiler-free army folks out there. All three of them. Can we not can we not talk about that until that comes in a later episode because wow, just literally literally Matt was asking me and other people what show is this from? <laughs> Well, the the fact that uh, Eric LeRae Harvey appears in a scene with with some of the cast members from Luke Cage, right? Did... And then he's like, "Oh, this is a clip from Iron Fist. They're they're showing us the opening scene of Iron Fist. It it's absurd." Okay, I need you to all tweet. First off, all follow at Looking Back Lost. Uh, follow Matt there, and then tweet at him that tweet spoilers at him, please. <laughs> Even if they're not real spoilers, you know, man lands on the moon. Things like this. Tweet him things, please, so he can get over the idea. He doesn't even watch previews of a coming episode. But we digress, and we're going to talk about this episode. If you're a member of the spoiler-free army, you're welcome to tweet at me. Hashtag stay spoiler-free, and I will retweet that and make sure Pete sees it. But Pete, wow, I, I hope I don't get things spoiled. I really have great feelings about that Apollo 13 moon landing. Um, but Pete, should we dive on into this episode? Let's do it. The Lowdown, where we review what's going on in the episode. Pete, tell me about the teaser act this week. Yet again, no teaser act to this episode. We get our credits and then right in to rapper Jadena's Long Live the Chief. Great use of colors here. Reds, blues, Golden yellows, all, uh, all, all there with the uh, with the rapper on stage, and really, just just a an evocative, uh, an evocative start to the episode. Yeah, and this montage of him singing in the club, a private performance there for uh, Cornell Stokes. All the while, Luke lifting the rubble of his apartment, clearly looking for something. Uh, people are filming him with these feats of strength. He does not seem to care. Misty even sees this going on. Uh, Claire 
Temple, meanwhile, steps off the L and smiles and gets her purse snatched, running down the uh, would-be snatcher, fighting him, kicking him in the crotch and retrieving her bag just as Luke retrieves the swear jar from under the rubble as Misty then comes out, uh, you know, looks through the rubble there and finds the photo of Riva that Luke had had in his medicine cabinet. The camera work uh, in this section of the episode is fantastic, particularly with Claire, the way the camera loops around her. Um, and then there's even that long shot where she's chasing after the guy. It's like they've turned the corner. She's chasing after the guy, and he's he's merely running fast, sees her behind him, and he, he you know, speeds up. It, it just felt so incredibly authentic and real. And then... Pete, that that whoa, whoa, uh, speaking of real, Matt, we about to keep it real. Well, let, let's keep it real, Pete. Yeah, the the door closes there, and uh, it ain't no social, Matt. This is State of the Union. Cottonmouth asks uh, Daryl how they're doing after the loss of Fort Knox, and they reveal he is broke. Yes, there's some real estate. Uh, Mama Mabel had left him the club. He and Mariah share the deed to her old brownstone. He's got maybe 250K laying around, but he lost seven figures seven times over, not $49 million. Checked later in this uh, episode, seven million that he lost in the Crispus Attics. Uh, wasn't a raid because Luke didn't take it, just, just allowed it to be found by the cops. Uh, there are other uh, thugs there, including Shades. Um, there's discussion of stocks, club profits, but the streets are talking, man. And uh, this dude with the hoodie that's out there, uh, he's bad news. But hey, uh, somebody's raised a hand. Matt, is that you? No, Pete, that was that was Coco. And this is such a uh, a lovely unexpected and then ultimately bizarre uh scene here he raises his hand he makes this really really intelligent argument uh centered around this book that he's been reading it's this argument about the social and political context of the decline of new york's inner city uh in, in the second half of the 20th century this notion of benign neglect wherein a problem can just kind of be left alone and what? perhaps yes pete benign neglect the the benign neglect Indeed. I, I just love the intonation, too. And after Cottonmouth admonishes Coco, he don't need to raise his hand. This ain't PS 154. Um, you know, having gone through, despite the fact that this guy is a thug and, you know, he's at least reading this and, and you know, trying to better himself and, again, admonished for that. Uh, what's it get him, Matt? It gets him quickly shot dead. And... I mean, there's so much that I think you can read into what's going on in this scene in terms of Coco is putting so much of this this current situation in in the larger context, social and political, as I said earlier. Uh, but that matters less to Cottonmouth than the earlier statement uh, said by uh, by perhaps Daryl or perhaps one of the other thugs. The streets is talking, and just this notion of he's broke people know it and and 
his his reaction pete it's like he's this weird fictional reactionary guy who's more concerned about about how he is perceived than actual success if you can believe such a thing coming out of new york city um whereas his cousin mariah dillard who sits this episode out alfred winter does might have cared about you know, the, the loss of the Dodgers, Robert Moses, uh, you know, this grand architect of, of New York City creating the Cross Bronx Expressway and, and white people fleeing to the suburbs. And then Moynihan and Nixon and the discussion here that, well, maybe if you let things fall apart just so much, we create a, a situation where there's a little bit more control of, of urban areas and that they might somehow coexist, but just, you know, not pay attention to Luke Cage. And then he takes a headshot. And as a side note, dear listener, if any of this historical stuff tickles your fancy, check out the, the, the history of Robert Moses, one of the most powerful and most blatantly racist people in the history of New York City. Uh, it just it, it is insane the amount of power he wielded for for so long as something like parks commissioner it was some like weird thing pete but i digress coco his book I, I i just want to point out you know i i spent a lot of time in harlem because i was a grad student at columbia university a couple blocks south and um required reading as I went into Columbia School of Journalism, was uh, the the book the the Power Broker, um, and just really gives you an excellent idea of, you know, just how neighborhoods, communities are are used to to use the metaphor of this episode. They are pawns. They are pushed around, particularly those with, you know. Um, difficult uh situations as as far as the the makeup and uh what people perceive yeah i know one small example is he made sure that overpasses were low enough so buses overpasses that overpasses were low enough so buses couldn't go under them which where the overpasses were prevented buses from going to long island therefore people of people who didn't own cars couldn't go to long island therefore you know people at the lower socioeconomic end oftentimes people of color couldn't go to long island and that was all on purpose done by robert moses so it is with this this all of this in my head where on the one hand, it's kind of, you know, oh, Coco makes this this interesting, intelligent plea and gets shot dead. And that's incredibly exciting and shocking that he gets shot. But to me, it was, I mean, you mentioned Robert Moses and all the other stuff. And there's this, in my opinion, there's this red flag of Cottonmouth is not taking the larger reality of his situation into play here. Uh, whether you want to say the larger reality of social and political context, of uh, race and economics if you want to go that far or if you just want to keep it in the the fun confines of superhero tv show he's he's out of money and is 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 now about to order for you know money to be to be scraped off the bottom of the barrel even though the writing is on the wall here that he is in deep 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 trouble 
And as the police sit on his money, he decides they're going to have to turn up the heat and orders Zip and his other thugs here to uh, to get out there from one tenth to one fifty fifth, shake them all down. OK, and uh, it's Shades who's got to point out, you know, you think you're going to recoup seven million dollars just like that. Um, you know that Diamondback sent him and it's the Fort Knox situation here makes that junkyard rip look like amateur night at the Apollo, Matt. But that dishwasher, Luke Cage, thinks he can prove Harlem don't need cotton mouth. It's a nice reminder, too, especially since, uh, well, mine eyes, mine eyes from what I saw spoiler-wise at Comic-Con. It's a nice reminder that uh, Shades has that connection to Diamondback. If only, Pete, we were to see Diamondback one day in some far future. But as the scene starts to wrap up, uh, Zip is also told to call Mr. Spurlock. They need his services. Pete, is this going to be the uh, the supersize me guy is going to come on in and be like, <laughs> come on, Cottonmouth. Let's try a Big Mac a day for 30 yeah, days. Yeah, 30, 30 days with Cottonmouth. I, I doubt any of these guys have spent 30 days in his employ. Um, but uh, tell anybody, they tell him, that uh, when they're shaking him down, has a problem. Yeah, go go hollow over there at Luke Cage at, uh, at the barber shop. The Luke so, Cage tax is being exactly charged. Exactly. That Luke Cage tax, yo. The Luke Cage stupidity tax, Matt, as it's called. We even get, uh, I believe, unnamed in this scene. We get one uh, one sports fan roughed up in particular by Zip. Her memorabilia broken. Her father's uh, baseball championship ring taken from her. You got a problem? Holler at Luke Cage. So, Pete, who are we going to visit next in the story? Well, that would be Luke Cage, of course. That worked out well. (laughs) Pops, uh, we've got Luke, we've got uh, Bobby Fish, and uh, Dapper Dan. He's a Dapper Dan man. He sure is. And uh, this is just, this is a scene that just oozes personal charisma. I mean, you put Mike Coulter in the scene, you put... uh, Ron Cephas Jones then add this this charismatic tailor to it. And Pete, it's just a scene that sizzles. It is, you know, coming out of just the bizarre with Cottonmouth and, and then that montage of, of people being robbed to come back to the titular character here to see him get suited up um, even to the point uh, after a, a quick cutaway there at the Mount Olive Baptist Church where they're getting ready for Pops Memorial. Um, you know, questions about uh, Mike Tyson and and everything there. But the whole thing about um, style, really, that the, uh, Dan saw Luke Cage buried on TV and, and broke out of it. That's some style. But Bobby Fish points out he's blessed. And it's here, Matt, that uh, amidst talk of style, we get to substance with uh, Bobby Fish. He points out that you can't control what people say. You just got to be the best man you can. And, um, you know, this suit, it ain't no smock. There's messages stacked up at the door. Everybody's looking for Luke after the building thing. Uh, But today, Luke is strictly about Pop's memorial. And Bobby, however, 
he's got something to worry about. Indeed, he does using the chessboard as a uh, as a visual metaphor. He's trying to trying to figure out how to wrangle all of Pop's women at the funeral, keep them apart. Some of them knew about some of the others or thought they were family, not lady friends. Um, so certainly a moment of of levity there. There's also a discussion from Fish about the need for Luke to to get the shop up and running, particularly if he's going to take the apartment upstairs. So certainly this idea of of Luke uh, staying in the neighborhood, revitalizing this shop. And uh, with that, Pete, at the door comes Aisha, comes in to see about Zip taking her father's championship ring. Pete, I love that they give the character and the actress an opportunity here to, to display a range of emotions. She's angry at first, but then sorrowful about the notion of this ring representing the best of her father, someone who has, uh, who, who has fallen short more recently. And she challenges Luke to fix this. You, you can see Pete, the, the story starting to come together here. It's like hero for hire, but it's not quite full hero stuff. It's not quite for hire, but it's like they're doing the thing in the comic. Yeah, and uh, people are talking all about him up and down Lennox Ave with Zip having come by, taken this ring, and uh, she tells him he needs to check these dudes. That, uh, you know, her father, he's, he's strung out now, but he's good deep down, and that she wouldn't allow him to pawn this because it was his legacy. Uh, so don't be a punk and just stand by. And uh, all of a sudden, this is a different kind of chess gambit. Indeed, it is. So, so Luke is is off to go help her, and there are others at his door, similarly asking for help. There's even one guy, get back my Les Paul, man. Yeah, which uh, I mean, for the uninitiated, maybe not knowing there, it's a guitar. We'll we'll see it in a in a couple scenes. We have a quick story check-in with Claire, who's made it to her mother's restaurant in Spanish Harlem. Turns out Claire is from Harlem, so there's a bit of a homecoming here. Pete, it did have... Here's what crossed my mind, and you as the the person who spent more time... uh, Well, certainly more time living in the city. I've never lived in New York City. Um, Perhaps you can address this. This episode of this show which has to serve its own story masters in a lot of ways it made it seem like like claire has come this great distance to to check in with with mommy and and she she's fine she just wanted to get back to her roots isn't it like a 15 minute subway ride up from hell's kitchen well one she's in the same borough (laughs) right yeah like you literally could walk it in probably an hour no, oh no, no, no. You were not walking from Hell's Kitchen to um Spanish Harlem in an hour. Um but, you know, it it, it it's a ride. I mean, if if we're going to sit and and you know, put the time in and and figure out on a map, you know, we're we're going to uh really quibble about that, but it's it's a cer- little... certainly it, 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 it's a fairly short subway ride for two dollars and fifty cents, right? 
I wouldn't say it's a short subway ride, okay. uh, but it's it's a ride. So has she traversed distance? She has. She has not gone from one end of New York to the other. By the way, the Google Maps says it would take you an hour and a half to walk it, um, and subway would be like 42 minutes. So it's farther than I thought, but, certainly. Listen, but you would need a rocket on your behind to walk that in an hour and a half. All I'm saying is this, and I'm not being, I'm only being critical insofar as we know that as Jeff Loeb says, we make fun of him for saying, despite the fact he's the one who said it the most, everything is hashtag. And you make the hashtag thing with your two peace signs together, uh, you know, perpendicular hashtag. It's all connected. This episode present, presents it like it's it's been this great feat of like, Mama, I'm home. I'm home. I'm 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 home from the other city. I've, I, <laughs> surprise, surprise! I took the red eye, L.A. to New York, and then New York to New York to Atlanta. I'm home, Mama. As opposed to, look, it might be a 42 minute subway ride. It literally is two dollars and fifty cents to get on the subway and go from Hell's Kitchen to, to Spanish Harlem. Well, so for the great majority of people watching this who are, who live outside of the city and are not uh, familiar with it, Matt, that's, that's what we can add with the geography, but you know, just like how, just like how in, uh, in hell, in, uh, in uh, Jessica Jones, if I might mention how there are a lot of these shots by the, shots in manhattan looking across the east river at manhattan which wait that's queens but i digress yeah. Pete. back <laughs> back to the plot soledad temple claire's mother is played here by sonia braga uh perhaps best known for kiss of the spider woman so very accomplished brazilian uh born actress here and Pete, also for the uninitiated, that is a that is a stage production and has nothing to do with uh, with Jessica Drew or the comic books, is right? <laughs> None whatsoever, just yet. <laughs> just yet. However, one day everything will be Disney. Um, with uh, with that bit o story business taken care of, back we go to Luke. Who, when last we saw him, get back my Les Paul, man, Luke gets back the Les Paul guitar. So that went quite quickly. And Pete, he's going to also get the tips back for the uh, <clears throat> dancer at Sugar Daddy's Gentleman's Club. Pete, it's rare that you see two, uh, two possessive words in a title, but Sugar Daddy's Gentleman's Club. Um, and Pete, here in this scene, the music is funky, it's electric, and I love it how Luke swats one down quickly then tells the other that when he wakes up tell everyone that they got nothing to fear from Cottonmouth. wait when i wake up how <laughs> indeed if only we had the guy from the batman uh return of the cape crusaders uh panel that we went to at new york comic-con who read all of the pows and biffs that appeared on screen out loud so that we didn't have to think read them uh when that happened there to to go crack when he got hit across the face with that luke is headed back to the shop uh where he's on a new case uh, a man was shot by a uh, a, a woman um Maybe. he's not going to talk to the police but luke is helping now yeah and uh asks if uh he remembers him 
from uh, Genghis Khanis. Of course, uh, this man who's been shot, uh, not really wanting to relive what happened there. And uh, he is going to head back to Raleigh. Meanwhile, another woman here, a different one with green hair, comes up and tells Luke he ain't fast enough. Aisha wants the ring back. Was it Aisha who shot him? Uh, Matt, she's going to plead the eighth. Pete, we all know how important it is to prohibit the federal government from imposing excessive bail, excessive fines, or cruel and unusual punishment. Thank goodness for the Eighth Amendment. She is quickly corrected here by Luke that uh, it is the Fifth Amendment, your right to not incriminate yourself uh, through statements. There are five amendments, Matt. One, two, three, four, fifth. Wow. With that, Detectives Knight and Scarf roll on up, asking about the Reva picture. No comment from Luke. And the rocket being fired. Maybe go after the guy who fires it, says Luke. Anyhow, Luke is too busy to talk to them. He's off to Pops, uh, Pops Memorial. And Misty's recommendation on that last topic, don't go. Yeah, I think that was a little over the top. And granted, it's serving... The story master first, let's create continued conflict between the two of them, uh, even though she seems to be softening a little bit, seeing that he's he's got these abilities, he's openly flaunting them. But this idea of the innocent now getting hurt, that if he doesn't leave, that's going to continue to happen. Um, but he's got to do right by pop. And Matt, we transition to what the kids call fat stacks. Fat stacks indeed at Cottonmouth's club. It's it's a decent pile of cash on his desk. Uh, I mean, Pete, it's not quite fantastic geek money here, but it, it, it's okay. I think that it's it, it's it's to the credit of the production that they they sell it as a lot of money, but not a lot a lot of money. Regardless, Shades says to let this beef with Cage go. Uh, indeed, he suggests to Cottonmouth that uh, that Stokes should sell the club, net three million dollars. But Cottonmouth says no. He keeps saying no, even as Shades says that if the right moves aren't made, Cottonmouth is done. Uh, the club. Harlem's Paradise is Cottonmouth's blood, his legacy. It's interesting that his amped up uh, pressure on Cage is perceived as weakness. Um, but there's a clearly a larger game going on here. And uh, Cottonmouth brings up that no... Uh, black person has ever done anything like this. The this we're not completely sure. I I would guess the the real estate and the the culture and consolidation that he's attempting. Uh Percy Sutton came close years ago, but Harlem's paradise he says is special. He's not going anywhere. And um that it's uh his reputation, it's his blood, it's his legacy. Pete, uh, mentioning Percy Sutton here, of course, a reference to the uh, the prominent politician and businessman uh, who uh, not only was um, 
the the highest ranking African-American elected official uh, at the time when he was Manhattan Borough President. Uh, but he also uh, invested in uh, in things like the New York Amsterdam News and the Apollo Theater. So again, this idea of someone who who um, came to Harlem, made a name for himself uh, both politically and and economically, and um, th- that that being the legacy to which to which Cottonmouth ostensibly aspires. But with dishwasher Lazarus at the club here and four goons around him. Uh, you know, cost of being a savior here, ask Jesus, is that uh, stuff goes down and he tells him he does not want Harlem. He wants, uh, he, he wants him to stop messing with, uh, with people. And uh, it's at this point, Shades takes the uh, glasses off as the beatdown happens and he realizes that is Carl Lucas down there. It's a small world. I also want to mention, Pete, that uh, Shades miraculously goes from up, up on the balcony to downstairs, kind of in in <laughs> in a quick cut. Um, but but regardless, um, he talks to Luke, and Shades says Luke is supposed to be dead. Um, Luke leaves the the four or five goons having been uh, disturbed dispatched with their their punches and their their bullets no dice against uh against luke cage and um luke leaves and cottonmouth wants to hear the long story which pete thank goodness they cut away from because that was the last episode yeah and uh claire here with the salt superstition abounds here and then she talks about the middle ground that she's seen uh, the hospital attacked by men in masks. Uh, she took one down, had an autopsy scar like he had died and come back to life. Pete, that uh, was the Dare's Devil seasons too. It was. It was right out of that season. And, uh, you know, the hand who had shown up there, the friends killed, uh, friends of the, the ninja she killed, killed Louisa. The hospital, of course, wants to cover it up. They're saying a junkie did this. She wanted to go to the cops, but uh, they gave her a choice, but it wasn't a choice at all. And now she's just here. She's back home. Her mother's glad that she's there, but of course she kind of had to. Metro General has made it sure that she can't work anyone else or anywhere else in New York So her mother poses the rhetorical question here, well, what would make you happy? And then she gets even deeper into Daredevil there. She's seen a blind man who uh, has has overcome with the rest of his senses to see. Uh, She's seen another man who survived a shotgun blast to his head and recovered uh, in a few hours. Both needed her help. She thinks that's what she wants to do is help people with abilities. But what would Abuela, who conveniently uh, mom has the photo and brings right up, what would Abuela do, Matt? Well, the concern here is that it's some kind of hoodoo business, maybe uh, even this kind of intersection of science and magic, kind of like the silver hammers and green monsters that are going on elsewhere in this uh in this cinematic universe so uh, i think abuela would be concerned that 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 
we're going down a magical road here, but um, certainly a, a, a scene that not only moves the story football forward in terms of why Claire is there and how she's going to get reinvolved again with Luke Cage, we can only assume, but just this idea that that average everyday people aren't quite sure what all of this is, that there's this change going on that's making them feel all the smaller. Um, so I, I think a very honest moment of writing there. With that, the story goes back to the club. And Pete Shades is just finishing up his backstory on Carl Lucas. I mean, that worked out really well that we didn't have to see him retell <laughs> that whole thing. You could like pop in the previous episode and and just get that story. Um, and, you know, the the incredulity to Shades that he's survived. Um, Cottonmouth calls him half Houdini, half Ali and uh, Shades points out that there's a bullet for everyone. Diamondback taught him that. So he's got him something else to show. He pulls up another video. Uh, is it a Russian, Ukrainian, he thinks, Eastern European? Uh, there's a Kevlar vest. There's then uh, Polish spoken. And uh, there's a gunshot right to the, to the vest, which the person who put it on is able to take. And then, okay, no big deal, Cottonmouth uh, wonders. And Shades tells him to wait for it. There's a whirring. And then not only does the shell lodged in the vest uh, explode and kill the wearer of the vest, it also seemingly takes out the cameraman, the co- the uh, camera lens covered in blood in what um, Codmouth refers to as the illest stuff he's ever seen. Well, no one can argue with that. It's mentioned uh, by Shades that these bullets are made from a metal not of this earth, left over from the incident. Um, And the price per bullet is, you know, Pete, I'm just going to write down the number and I'm going to slide it on over to you. But the price of this bullet is out of this world, too. I I can't pay that, Matt. You got to front me that. Well, here's the thing, though, Pete. Diamondback is not going to front you or Cottonmouth for it. Shade says no dice to that. If he, Diamondback, does Cottonmouth any favors, Diamondback will be taking Harlem. So interesting moment here. Shade's seemingly working for Diamondback, but now kind of playing the role of, of, of proactive peacemaker, if you will. They're really building up this Diamondback, Matt. I, you know, I can't wait for you to meet him for the second time. <laughs> well said, Pete. Uh, this is when Cottonmouth says, all right, solution. We'll get Domingo his guns, get the cash going so he can pay, he, Cottonmouth, can pay Diamondback, then kill Luke Cage and get this settled once and for all. And I was like, Hold on. I know it's been a busy weekend, what with seeing the Defenders on stage and the reveal of their villain and seeing the cast of Iron Fist on stage and uh, and and seeing Eric LeRae Harvey in some connected role to something or other. Um, I'm like, but I thought Domingo's guns they didn't have. Um, Pete, I sure hope the story clears this up, how they're going to get the guns or whatever. It does. But speaking of guns, Matt, this untraceable round that uh, incinerates forensic evidence, um, if you wanted 
a gun to kill Jesus. Uh, some people believe Jesus was an alien. They're, they're strange. Um, this would be the bullet to do that. That's why they refer to this bullet, Matt, as the Judas. The story moves to, uh, to the police station, not to yet give the explanation about Domingo's guns, but instead uh, two other police types later identified as a, a captain and a lieutenant. Uh, they're, they're, they're quietly, they're quietly tipping off uh misty that scarf is under investigation from internal affairs they spell it out scarf is missing for 40 minutes and chico is gonzo too misty absolutely stands by him says that he can be a little raw at times but that he's a good cop and with that pete good old Raphael scarf he comes on in he he's back. He did a little lunch run for for him and his pard. He's got a he's, he's got a gyro. A gyro, yeah, for Misty. He's got veggie for himself because Pete. He's just a nice workaday detective. He eats vegetarian sometimes. Um, oh, he, Frank Whaley is so good, so good in this show. He does a good job, and there's kind of that switch that he flips on. There, there's the likable you know, with Misty and here in the office. And then there's the, the slimy, of course, that he can be when he's uh, around Cottonmouth or any other ne'er-do-wells, Matt, that we'll talk about in a little bit. Misty leaves to go to Pop's memorial and uh, Scarf is just about to um, scarf down his lunch, but his <laughs> phone rings. He's on the phone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he yeah. got it. He got it indeed. Uh, the story moves outside where, where some some gentlemen are taking a lunch break. They're just shooting some dice as as one does. Uh, Luke breaks it up. All of the guys but Zip run off. Zip takes a few shots. Not the verbal, but the actual handgun. Of course, nothing happens to Luke. He just wants the ring back. He reminds Zip in an episode which, again, is having this discussion about... about reflecting on on the role of of the the african-american citizen in harlem if i if i may be so specific but just kind of this notion of of one's connection to the neighborhood to the community he reminds zip that there's a legacy to this place to this park to jackie robinson park and a legacy that they share Luke Cage here, Pete, not just ascending Zip as he picks him up by the neck, but Luke Cage behaviorally, morally ascendant. You know, the the powers are one thing, but the way that Luke is growing as a character in a way that we haven't really seen the other two defenders who have made their debut do this. You know, all right, Jessica's gotten her act you know, out of control alcoholic thing, slightly more under control. Uh, she's beaten uh, her, her, you know, personal demon by way of Kilgrave. Daredevil has, has struggled to maintain his, his dual existence. Arguably Matt, to this point, Luke Cage has the, you know, yeah, he's he's paid with the the death of his wife, but he he seems to be embracing who he is and being able to to grow in a in a public way, in a sense of community that he can be out and open and in a way that you know Daredevil has to hide behind the mask. 
great observation there and it's it's great to have organically reached this point you know so much of so much of daredevil daredevil's desire to uh remain anonymous at least in the show is is factored in by his uh his catholicism and you know what's the right thing to do and that sort of thing whereas here cage is being propelled into the public out of a sense of community out of a sense of responsibility um and it's not just you know it's not just for for more kind of comics based reason or reasons or, or things of that sort um so again kind of what you get here in the long form of television back we go to scarf who is on a bench and uh he's kind of having a a a, a public private meeting with uh perez who tips off scarf that ia that's uh, internal affairs is onto him but worse cottonmouth needs the hammer guns back um and Perez explains that McLean is actually making that happen. McLean, of course, uh, somebody who rocks the desk job, enjoys the donuts, but <laughs> he's on Cottonmouth's payroll and intercut with this explanation, Pete, because it's a visual medium. They just don't say it. They show McLean doing just that, getting those guns out of uh, out of uh, storage, coming up with the paperwork to to get them off the police books. Dispose of them here. And, uh, you know, the, the logic being, well, he's on the payroll, he goes, or we go, he goes. And these hammer crates are then loaded in a van. And uh, suddenly Luke Cage is looking for Aisha in uh, her business. But find somebody else, Matt. Pete, there's a man in the shop. Uh, he's drinking a Colt 45. Uh, no, no, it's not Lando Calrissian. He is, though, glad that Luke isn't there to steal from the shop. There's nothing left anyway. The man uh, waxes eloquent about how back in the day a man's name meant something. Again, highlighting the thrust of the episode. Luke Cage has used his name. He wants his name to be good. Turns out that the man is Eddie, Aisha's father. He says the ring isn't worth crap, but Luke reminds uh, Eddie that it means a lot to her. Yeah, and there's this discussion here. You know, they look at some of the memorabilia. Luke asks if Eddie's father played. Of course, baseball has been a game that's been passed down from fathers to sons, but all the fathers are gone now. And, um, you know, we've had this meta commentary a, a couple times. Pop brought this up once before and, and discussed his absentee fatherhood, which comes up in the memorial scene in a little bit. But Matt, there is actually a concerted effort. There has been for several years. There's a program called R RBI, which is Revive Baseball in the Inner Cities. Um, the New York Mets, Curtis Granderson, is very instrumental in that program, uh, does quite a bit of work for his native Chicago. And, um, you know, th this is a... This is a touching scene, despite the fact that, you know, Eddie's making poor decisions here. It's the daughter uh, from from father to daughter. And, and she's held on to the to the cherished item here, has the greater uh, affinity for his legacy, opened the shop here. He could sign some autographs, but, uh, you know, she didn't so much want to he didn't so much want to be. Uh, in on that but Luke tells him that he needs to quit letting her down 
and uh, to tell her that Luke Cage came by. Eddie is reflecting on his own fading magic touch, and it's a scene that's ultimately about being the best you you can be. Luke is doing that, and uh, maybe Eddie can too in his own way. The story moves back to uh, back to Mommy's diner, which, uh, by the way, Pete has the blinds closed all the time because it's not a set. It just was probably <laughs> um, not a nice day out or whatever. Claire uh, Claire sees news footage of Luke Cage, and now uh, a diner comes up and says, "Hey, that's Luke Cage." Indeed, Matt. Um, Mrs. Temple points out that that man reminds her of Claire's father. Interesting, I think, in the context of her uh, announcement in the Iron Cage series yet to come uh, from Netflix in March of 2017. And what a lot of people think that she will eventually assume the full-on identity of the night nurse. Regardless, the, uh, the, the story thrust of the scene, Claire with name and face of Luke Cage, uh, all, all together, uh, that, that has been achieved. Back we go to the barbershop where Luke realizes that his shirt is ripped from gunfire. He swears Pete and he adds a dollar to the jar. So he's, he's taking responsibility even for his salty language. We had seen actually this clip in a, a montage at New York Comic Con, uh, something Matt hadn't seen just yet, but he didn't freak out there because I don't know why. Um, but the 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 mirror imaged here, the the way that it's shot, the the noticing of the holes and the reflection as as he's looking at the incomplete reflection, very symbolic of what's going on as as Luke is amassing this rep here. The story moves to the funeral where, where Misty arrives, as does Aisha, along with Shades and Cottonmouth himself. Um, Cottonmouth texts to see where his merch is up to, and Pete Scarf receives that text. Let's let's press pause on the story right now and, and talk about the text. Now, I tell this to our listeners in a way that they're not going to go and abuse it, but... If you didn't notice when you saw uh, Detective Scarf's Samsung phone that one, the person he's receiving the uh, text from is named Charlie Mack, you know, CM, Cottonmouth, because if his phone was ever seen that way, oh, you have Cottonmouth, you have Cornell Stokes's number in your, your phone, that might be slightly incriminating. But second, Matt, do you know what else you see if you look there for some detail? Well, I, I went back and looked. It looks like it's a phone number, Pete. It is an actual phone number. Oh, like the Jessica phone. Jones thing that's like a viral thing, right? Uh, kind of, but not really. <laughs> um, this is a number of someone connected with the show, uh, a member of the crew. And we had a very nice conversation because when I called looking for Cottonmouth, um, he is not Cottonmouth and uh, made it clear that, uh, wow, perhaps Netflix might uh, get rid of that number, which as of this recording on uh, October 10th, 
2016 is still visible. So, uh, Fantastic Geek Disclosure, uh, please don't call that number like I did. Because it's a person and it's a real, it, it's real life. It's not pretend life. Um, bottom line, though, uh, regardless of what the number is, Scarf has received this text from Cottonmouth. Uh, Scarf is at the van with uh, with the guns and y- you see him decline to answer the text. And just this moment where you can tell he's he's looking around uh, both physically and, and mentally because he's been tipped off to the IA investigation. So so some extra story juice there. Back we go, though, to the church where Pop's son gives a eulogy, uh, not having known his father, wishing he had connected with him more. All of this background while aisha reaches for a gun in her purse um luke arrives sits next to her and uh, tells her to put the gun back in her purse and he he gives a a quick squeeze to the purse crushing the gun although aisha doesn't doesn't see that or it doesn't quite register and um with that pete fish asks if anyone else would like to speak so this is luke's big moment right yeah, but he is blocked here. You had to expect it by Cornell Stokes, who points out he has a few words here. Henry Hunter, of course, was uh, his mentor and his oldest friend, talked about you know, the origin of his name and uh, that he changed, however. He evolved, you know, like Harlem has and it's been a war zone, and uh, now it's a pasture. Talked about the the artistry um, and the artists that have uh, risen from the concrete like roses, and it's all very eloquent. And we come to the symbolic math. Now there are these foreign interlopers with arcane abilities, and. Uh, you know, he wants to keep Harlem true. Um, I guess make Harlem great again was just a little too prescient. This this is such delightful fiction. This this New York businessman uh, is everything that he's doing legal. Apparently not. Uh, he's full of bluster. He's short on actual results. Uh, here he is attacking foreigners and strangers just so that he can keep the the right kind of people safe, just as Pop wanted, invoking an earlier generation. Pop, almost the 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 the, the cowboy of another era, if you will. Pete, as I as I said, such such delightful fiction. Um, Cottonmouth's speech concludes. Luke walks on up. There are flashbacks to Pop's death and. Luke remembers being told by Pop that these kids need to see a man going to work. They need to see a man in uniform putting in work. Luke apologizes for coming in late to the funeral, but he was doing what Pop would want, helping those in need. He goes on to say that Pop never forgot his people. He saw precious jewels uh, amongst the community and and Luke remembers that diamonds are formed by pressure and covered in dirt. Luke concludes by reminding everyone that we all need to help each other, uh, even if that means standing up to a bully, a bully who calls himself friend. Again, Pete. Wow. It's it's great. It's loaded with the the type of shade here, Matt, is how the kids would uh, refer to it that makes it ooh worthy. 
Um, I just got to point out the the checking of the the no curse, no profanity policy, and the ugly smocks. The need to to give some kind of normalcy to uh, the kids to help them see here that that there's another way to go about their business, and that's really what what pop was all about. To put that shine on, Matt. You put the shine on yourself. You can put the shine on somebody else when you're giving them a shape up. And uh, by the end of this, you know he's he's got the uh, the 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 people all frothy in a way that Diamondback didn't. Um, that he doesn't believe in Harlem. He believes in the people who make it what it is. And uh, he's he's suddenly back in the crowd. There goes up to Aisha, who he had crushed the gun inside her purse. Uh, gives her the ring. So he's one of them, isn't he, Matt? He is. And you know what? She's learning a little bit about, about accepting the them who might not be and us, but realizing that, you know what? Uh, people can come together nonetheless. Uh, Luke also tracks down Cottonmouth, saying that he was glad to have embarrassed Cottonmouth in public. A public shaming, Pete, is, is what has... has uh, has gotten Cottonmouth this time. Um, and here, Mahershala Ali is, is is unafraid to have Cottonmouth laugh in Cage's face. After all, there's a difference between the battle and the war. Yeah, and uh, next time uh, Luke tells him that he damages a suit, he's going to be taxing him. Misty runs after him, made a hell of an impression in there. Is that a compliment? No, it's not. Uh, tells Luke that he needs to stop this uh, peeing contest before more people get killed. And uh, he said that uh, he wouldn't need to stop if they had taken care of things, they being the authorities. Uh, she says she will. It's the system. But he points out the the problem with arrests and uh, plea deals and everything else. And she points out that he just started World War III, that your bulletproof behind here uh, is going to make Harlem suffer. And uh, you're not helping him uh, or not helping Misty take him down, then he needs to leave. And he apologizes here that they see things differently. But as he descends into uh, the barbershop, points out he ain't going nowhere. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Shut your mouth. We're just talking about bad guys, Petey. Who are we starting with? How about Cottonmouth? Cottonmouth, I I love that in this episode, they're showing him slowly starting to lose power. It still is fairly early in the season. We're at the concluding the fifth episode here. So it's not like we're in the home stretch where there's going to be the, the day of reckoning and Cottonmouth is going to be toppled over. But to show this arc and to show how how with that money gone he is so desperate first of all and and best of all it gives Mahershala Ali such great stuff to work with acting wise he's he's just slithering here to to use the the snake illusion and um really kind of flopping about early in this episode with the need to cede control again hence the senseless killing of of coco and 
Shades, who we'll get to next, you know, spelling it out to him all the while this ominous diamondback uh, figure looms over all of this. Yeah, Shades kind of kind of rather conciliatory in this episode. Somebody who's, I think, going above and beyond his position as the 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 new number two in Cottonmouth's operation because of uh, the 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 troubles that brought him uh, in the first episode. He's kind of invested in this all working out properly and all working smoothly. Yeah, and when we get to the point where he's bringing um, Cottonmouth up to speed on uh, what his options might be once he's communicated who Luke Cage, Carl Lucas is and the inability of him to suffer, uh, you know, to their understanding, physical harm um, that, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get you deeper into this situation with Diamondback I think Shades, Matt, you know, and I'm I'm not putting on uh, my spoiler Pete hat, uh, but I'll just openly speculate here, playing both sides. I think there's an aspect to that there. Yeah, that that if there's going to be a storm, he's he's looking for the, the best port and that could be this side. That could be that side. Pete, last we we have to talk about zip here. Yeah, from a guy who, you know, has been tossed out of a Chinese restaurant to somebody here having to do the the dirty work, directed to go shake people down, stealing the ring when he didn't have to and keeping it for himself. So there's a there's a personal nature to that type of crime. Uh, but it kind of goes back to what Eddie says that, you know, there, there's your reputation that people committed crime, but then they walked people across the street. Um, forget the destruction of uh, Pop's barbershop and, and his murder for a moment. Um, the, the keeping of a personal heirloom like that and, and what kind of affront that is to that woman and that family that lost it, that man's career and, and the greater meaning in the context of this neighborhood, maybe worse than a senseless killing. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a, there's a certain logic to the injustice of, all right, the neighborhood's getting shaken down as punishment for, uh, for Luke Cage or implicitly supporting Luke Cage or, you know, or, or, or that sort. I'm not certainly arguing for it. I'm just saying, there's there's a logic to it. There's an illogic to take this ring that that everyone agrees is, is of little monetary value, um, something that is purely sentimental in value, and for him to take it for the sake of taking, not even because the boss man says to. Um, so it, it's nice that uh, nice that Zip gets a, a bit of a comeuppance, courtesy of Luke Cage in Jackie Robinson Park. Of almost as much sentimental value matt are the people who give of their time uh give to us on patreon and uh sometimes get themselves a little perk back in return for what we give to you uh not just with the luke cage podcast but across our family of podcasts in the marvel cinematic universe and uh star trek discovery 
those going to patreon.com slash fantastic geek are helping not just the podcast move forward but keep that back catalog up there uh and uh, we particularly appreciate people checking it on out this time of year it's uh it's as it's as as the weather gets cooler out that uh that the the podcast gods will be demanding their their yearly <laughs> uh, their yearly you know payment to keep the keep not just uh, the the bandwidth to get new stuff out but the storage to keep the entire back catalog up there. So, uh, so thank what you. Matt's trying to say is that uh, the podcast zip is coming to collect his pound of flesh <laughs> and uh, we want to be able to pay our bills and uh, I need a producer who doesn't have a broken arm. So thanks again <laughs> for donating. The big picture where we break down theories about the road ahead. Pete, what is on the road ahead? Let's begin with Judas, not the uh, Iscariot who sold out Jesus Christ for uh, a couple pieces of silver and uh, eternal damnation, but the Judas bullet mat made from unearthly metal that uh, completely untraceable and uh, totally deadly. So Pete, how is it not going to be used against Luke Cage? I mean, you have a super bullet with otherworldly powers. You have a guy who's bulletproof. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that's got to be where things are headed, right? We just had a, a, a super nurse uh, parachute into Harlem. Hmm. Oh, Pete, it, it's almost like we can we can use knowledge of story construction to see into the future, <laughs> even if even if you're you are spoiler free. On Claire there, Matt, uh, that uh, the mother pointed out the, the comparison to Claire's father. Is Claire uh, a super? Does she have some ability from the, the family in there? Um, you know, I'll, I'll say one thing that uh, happened at the Iron Fist panel and the rest you're going to have to get from our uh, Iron Fist podcast by Fantastic Geek launching a little later this week. But uh, it was a surprise that uh, Rosario Dawson came out on the panel. Um, she had not been announced. And uh, for her to point out during the panel that uh, she has a really great sensei in the actress of uh, Jessica Hennick who plays uh, Colleen Wing, known to uh, Iron Fist fans. Um, she's clearly going to be taking on a more physical role in this next series. What's going on there, Matt? Well, I think it's welcome. Uh, I will put myself squarely in she's not super-powered camp, but that, that doesn't prevent her from kicking butt. I mean, if you think... You know, Daredevil is Daredevil's superpowers are those of sense. He is not super strong. You know, in, in well, if I say inhuman, that's the wrong thing too, right? Because it's MCU. But uh, he, he's not superhumanly strong. So if you know, if you have between now and say the Defenders miniseries, oh man, Claire goes through a training montage and now she can karate too. You know, she would she would be as equal in fighting power as as Daredevil, which is pretty darn good. 
word on the street where we hear from you, the listener. Pete, this tweet coming from somebody who, who, who might not be a listener, but somebody who certainly holds a special place in our, in our podcasting hearts. Walking back from, uh, from the one of the days of New York Comic Con, I think it was Friday night, we're, we're walking down the streets of Manhattan. We're in Hell's Kitchen, for goodness sake. And I, I, I did two tweets uh, you know, kind of both connected. I said, proposal for Marvel and Netflix. Spin off the Daredevil Jessica Jones Luke Cage character, hashtag Turk Barrett. At Shadow Flack, which is the Twitter of uh, actor Rob Barrett, Shadow Flack would bring it. Then I explained further. Example, Shadow Flack's Turk Barrett hosts an MCU-based news show from Hell's Kitchen. This was just tweeted at, you know, like we we were a little goofy from a long day. I mean, certainly we mean it. Pete got a response from Mr. Rob Morgan himself that said to us, hashtag Turk Barrett and I like how you think. Thank you for the continued love and support. So, Pete, not only do we get to hear from actor Rob Morgan of these Marvel Netflix shows of the show of the summer, uh, Stranger Things, but also, Pete, vis-a-vis the actor, we get love and support from Turk Barrett Monday Friday guy. Yeah, and I'm going to do you one further. So that was immediately after we had the Sigourney Weaver reveal that just tore the roof off of the main stage um, with the Marvel Netflix panel. Um, And my brain is worrying, and I said, hang on a second. Um, Sigourney Weaver... Is is best known as as Ripley from the you know multi million if not billion dollar uh, Alien franchise, um, but she she was also a character in a, in a lovable Ghostbusters series, a character Matt with the last I know Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. It's it we 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 saw the director uh, unnoticed at New York Comic Con as he was going I to use the bathroom. I him coming out of the bathroom actually. <laughs> to to Paul Feig but um uh she played a character named Dana Barrett so wait a minute they just recruited an actress who played a character named Dana Barrett they have a prominent you know uh bad penny who keeps turning turning up in Turk Barrett played by the the wonderful Rob Morgan uh, who was on the Comic-Con floor on Sunday. We just missed him. Oh. Okay. Um, Matt, it, it has to happen. Dana Barrett meets Turk Barrett. Make it happen. Yes, make it happen, Internet. Make it happen. Pete, I'll tell you one place where things always are made to happen. Seamless transition is talking to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 8,472 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, where you can absolutely, please don't share spoiled things with me. Oh, do it, do it. And, And spoilers of the worst kind, too. Please, please do this. Anyhow, uh, you can be in touch with Fantastic Geek. There are a variety of ways. That's Fantastic Geek with the P and the H. And we are under that name for FantasticGeek.com, Fantastic Geek on Twitter, Fantastic Geek on Instagram. 
Um, missing something. Fantasticgeek@gmail.com. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. And again, with the PH, all one word. Like it today. All sorts of stuff. Uh, you'll get notice of all of our podcast offerings. Uh, the video from uh, New York Comic Con, uh, just all sorts of uh, things that we offer there. Just another way to keep in touch and to interact. Pete, if you, and by you I mean the listener. So listeners, if you listen to us in the Pop Culture Podcast, we'll be back on Wednesday to talk about the excellent, excellent episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that uh, we were able to preview at New York Comic Con. The best uh, fight scenes, plural, of the series. Uh, if you're listening to us on the Luke Cage podcast, uh, we'll be back on Friday to talk episode 106. And uh, in the interim, you can keep an eye out for uh, the uh, the soft launch of our Iron Fist podcast with, uh, with news from New York Comic Con as well. So, Pete, with that, whenever we talk again, I will say uh, adios to all our listeners for now and give you the final word. I am the gun.